Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to listen to the episode today. This is Peter and Joe from True North Talk, and we're coming to you live with uh, another good episode today. We're going to be talking about the stories of Gideon and of Samson. We, we'll, we'll get into more detail about both of those stories in a second, but what we're going to really focus on from Gideon is we're going to talk about trusting in God, um, and then from Samson, we're going to be talking about avoiding temptation and how to know you know, what, what God's will for us is, I guess. And then kind of to, to wrap up the conversation tonight and we'll see where else the conversation goes, but we'll be talking about a little bit of, a little bit of crypto talk. Um, cause you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that we both like talking about that. Um, and then a little bit about Elon Musk and his, uh, state small stake purchase of Twitter so far and his potential interest in, you know, taking taking ownership of, of the whole thing so before we get small into the scripture anything nine percent that's quite the stake there for being a small stake it is i i just mean considering what he wants to do it's yeah. you know nine nine percent versus a hundred percent would be a small stake yeah that's true but anything anything you want to add before we before we get into the scripture no i mean i one thing I think was missed was the episode number, which I don't even know to be honest. I think we're on fourteen, but we'll see after. I think after it's this fifteen actually. Okay, we're on episode fifteen. Yeah, and this will okay. this will be going up at six five central. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just like the Disney Channel days that nobody understood what that meant. Six five central. It, it it took me at probably an older age than it should have to finally understood understand what that meant. And actually, I, I do still see that sometimes with like even sports stuff or like TV shows that are, that are coming out. But, but yeah, it's definitely not as, not as common, but for those of you who are maybe new to the podcast, uh, let you in in on a little bit of an inside joke. Um, you know, when, when we, when me and Joe have to figure out when we're going to record these episodes because of our busy schedules, you know, I, I have to consider that whatever time he's saying is an hour different than what, what I have to think of it as, because obviously I'm in, Timbuk 1.5 here in the central time zone. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's it's a hopping place. I guess real quickly before we get in the in, into the scripture talk maybe um you know we had we had actually I think I forgot to mention to you Joe we had Snoop Dogg here last night of all nights and when this is out last night will be Wednesday. And do you know do you know what the date was yesterday? Yeah, of course, 420. 420. On 4:20 of all days, Snoop Dogg was in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is a little, little under an hour from where I'm at. So, just kind of an interesting <laughs> little tidbit. And then, and what then also Snoop Dogg we have, going in Nebraska, bro. Come on. I have no idea. It's the most random. You, you'd expect him to be like <laughs> in L.A. or or New York, go to or Miami, Miami or, or something, right? But, but yeah, he was he was here in L.A. I'm not exactly sure how how the concert went. It was at the it was at the Cornhuskers Arena. Um, which I've actually been to because I covered the the high school basketball tournament there. But I was going to say, did you go? Were you there? Yes, I no no not not to the concert. No. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that was a, that was kind of an emphatic yes there. I think you might have been. <laughs> nah, I thought you were asking if I've been to the arena at at, an, at a different time. But no, I, I had had some soccer to cover last night, so I, I I thought about it for a second, but I'm like, eh. Some soccer, even so if I didn't have soccer. Soccer is the new code name for uh, lighting one up. Is that how it goes? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> it is really funny though. He's in Nebraska. That's so random. I swear. I know. And then, and then, you know, another another big name who is who's coming out here is former Mr. President Donald J. Trump will be here uh, tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Which again, when you're listening to this, it'll be Friday. Um, he'll be 
kind of right in between Lincoln and Omaha. There's like a like an I-80 Speedway or something like that. Um, so he'll be there having a rally and, and stuff like that. Again, I have I have sports to cover that night. That was also something I considered about going to just to experience it. But um, but yeah, it's just kind of you know I, we've joked on this podcast that it's kind of it kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it's a little bit of a hopping place this week. Yeah, it's it's also interesting that um, Trump is going there and that he's going to he's coming to Ohio Saturday. He's, it seems like he's kind of right. ramping up his rallies. Yeah, I don't know what's going might, on. Might be an announcement like, coming. I don't know if he's like prepping for the 2024 race or whatever, but um, yeah. Or or yeah, or another he, thing is too, he might be, um, you know, kind of advertising his endorsements for midterms for the midterm elections. That's a possibility too. But yeah, I that's what I actually got a some sort of like I don't know some sort of news article or something about the rally in Ohio. I think his. He's endorsing somebody for Ohio Senate or governor or something. So, okay, I think a lot of these uh, rallies are based around those. But yeah, why don't we go ahead and uh, get into that scripture? Yeah, that, that's that's about. a rough transition there. I'm not exactly sure how to how to segue this, but yeah, I guess we'll we'll divulge from that conversation for a little bit and uh, what we well, want to focus on. You could say, you could always say speaking of speaking of Trump. Why don't we talk about Gideon now? Because clearly that's that's a connection, obviously, yeah. <laughs> it's a one-to-one transition right there. I mean, Gideon did end up leading a nation. He led, led led the nation of Israel for a time, and Trump led led a nation, the United States of America. So there we go. There's our transition. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but but before we get into reading the scripture, um, I just kind of want to introduce who, who Gideon was. Um, you know, honestly, I, I don't think he was much of, of anybody before before the story that we're going to read about happens. Um, and I guess I guess we'll just get right into it. That'll provide a lot of the background. Um, Joe, do you want to take this 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 first chapter? Yeah, did you want me to take the chapter or just do the, the verses from 6 that you um, kind of highlighted? Do, do at least the first six verses, and we'll see if there's anything that we need to talk about before we get into okay. the, the rest of the chapter. Okay, Judges 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or oxen or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Yeah, and so I think that kind of sets the stage. And I'm not going to read these verses because um, like, if you have have a background in in Scripture, and you know this this is pretty much a... A simple way of putting it, you know, the the Israelites were once enslaved by the by Egypt, and so basically, what the, this next part of the passage is talking about in in seven through ten is just um, God sent the Israelites a prophet who told them, um, you know, I brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt, I rescued you from from the Egyptians, um, and then he he told them that 
God told them that he had said, you know, don't worship the God of, of the Amorites, um, but they did. And so that's that's kind of, I guess that provides a little bit more context into what verses 1 through 6 we're talking about, that Israel is once again in kind of this this oppressive state under under the Midianites. Yep, that's a good summary. So picking up at 11 now. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Which belonged to Joash the Abazarite. <laughs> His son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his, where are his all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and give us given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Yeah, so so before I offer my thoughts, what what are your thoughts on that passage, Joe? Um I think verse twelve stuck out to me. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? I think that kind of shows his humanity. Um, you know, he is, even when the Lord appeared to him, he's like, he says, If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? He's literally talking to God, talking to an angel of the Lord, saying that. It's like, dang, that <laughs> puts that in perspective. Because um, I yeah. can't say that. I mean, I I can't speak for you, but just myself, if I saw an angel and you were in the presence of God and you said something like that, I feel like, man, that'd be kind of bold to say something like that. But it's also it's also truthful. And I think, um, you know, I, I really like what you said about it showing his his humanity. It shows that this this wasn't somebody that like God gave some special powers to, you know, obviously he had plans for him, as we're going to see later on, but. You know, he was just—he was just a normal person. He was uh, a son of Joash the uh, Abizrite, however you say that. Um, you know, he wasn't—he wasn't a king or anything like that. He wasn't it's even not like, as easy as it looks, is it? These pronunciations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think it's and also just another thing. I'm not sure if this is always the case, but I believe. Sometimes when a- the angel of the Lord is used like it is here, I think that might be referring to a like a sighting of, of Jesus coming down to earth before obviously he came down as, as a man and lived and died. Um, I believe sometimes when that's in the Bible, and I'm not sure if this is one of those cases, some some believe that that is a reference to, to Jesus, the Son of God. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you talk about seeing an angel, imagine if that, that angel was, was Jesus, the son of God that, that you saw, and that would be pretty, pretty amazing. And I'd, I'd be kind of lost for words, I imagine. Right. That's what I'm saying. It, it makes him, it puts his humanity in real terms for us to understand. 
Um, but you want me to go ahead and read, what is it, 36 to 40? You want me to keep going here after 18? Um, just real quickly, I'll offer some final thoughts of, of mine on the 11 through 18. You know, he, he, he actually several times, I mean, you mentioned it, that it's, it's brave to show doubt. He kind of, and we'll see this even more throughout his story, um, you know, he kind of like three times here answers like, like the first time he's like, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? The second time he's like, how, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest and I'm the least in my family. Um, right. And then in verse 17, he says, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. Um, please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And so, again, like that, that's three times. It's kind of, you know, the Bible often works in threes. The Holy Trinity, Peter doubting Jesus three times. Those are just a couple of the examples. And this is kind of another example here. There's three three times that he's kind of like, hold, hold up, God. What, what What's going on here? What are you trying to tell me? Why? Why me? Um, you know, give me a sign. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting to me. And it kind of also shows that it's okay to have doubt because I, I know for myself, and we've talked about this in, in an, uh, one of the first episodes, I, I think it might have been the first episode, first or second, we talked about having doubt as a believer. And this is another example of, of showing that it's okay to have that doubt. I mean, we don't want to be like, oh, there's no way that what God says can happen. But, you know, it's okay to be a little bit like, you know, I'm not so sure. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we do have to trust in God. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there is an element of faith. There's no, um, I mean, that's what makes it special, right? I mean, God doesn't want robots picking him and, and following him. That's And that even goes back to the free will debate, predestination conversation we had. But I'm speaking about the element of faith here <clears throat> because we could see all the evidence we want in the Bible. And there's things that you and I believe in and, and look to toward evidence for God, like, you know, morality, objective morality and, you know, laws of logic and laws of physics and these things that we know that they come from God. But at the end of the day, we can't fully prove, um, that God is out there. So there is an element of faith. And of course, when you have to put your faith in something, there's going to be times where your faith doesn't feel as strong, but I think it's always coming back to that home base and that understanding and the, and the faith that that you have that's really important you know you end up you know you may stray a little bit sometimes but you always come back and that's that's what makes the difference between you know a believer a true believer that's saved and somebody who's you know just comes and goes in church or mm. is not saved is that the believers will always come back home no matter what yeah and i think so to answer that before we before we go into reading the end of this passage that's you know, that's Gideon showed his faith. You know, I I skipped over this because, you know, sometimes the details of sacrifices can get a little drawn out and, you know, it's not something that's extremely applicable. So that's why I kind of thought it'd be best to kind of go past these verses. But it basically talks about him offering the sacrifice, which he promised to offer, offer to God. Um, and then he also brings down the the Asherah pole, which is like an in an, an altar devoted to Baal, which I think is an Egyptian god. He, he it's a it's a god that people worship from, I yeah, believe it's from Egypt. It, it, it if it's not Egyptian, it's somewhere else in the, you know, like Saudi Arabia that that area. But but yeah, so then like you said, that's an example of him you know, living, living that faith, you know, being, trusting God enough to offer that sacrifice and to, to tear down that, that astral pole that was, that was worshiped by, 
you know, most, if not all, the people around him. Imagine the kind of imagine the kind of pushback he got when he did that. Exactly. You know, that'd be like I'm trying to think of an analogy for our times, like something that everybody kind of looks up to or something, and then somebody, you know, publicly destroys it. But I can't think of a great analogy for that. But yeah, you can only imagine that people around him were just beside themselves. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, verse 30, I'll read that real quick. It says, The people of the town demanded of Joash, who again is Gideon's father, um, bring out your son, he must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So yeah, they were they were certainly beside themselves, to say the least. Right. And that's another another call for us. Like, do we have any... I'm not sure the pronunciation. Is it Asherah pole? I think it's Asherah, yeah. Okay. What other, you know, what things in our lives could be considered Asherah poles? Because not a lot of people think, oh, I'm just living my life. I'm not having any idols. You know, I love God. But when you really think about it, you know, what what do you spend your time on daily? Mm-hmm. And this is something that I think we, we all could improve at, especially me. Yeah. But spending time in the Word something I've been slacking on recently. And you start to notice really quickly. Um, like, man. I'm not sure, Peter, if you've had like periods where it's like, all right, you're reading every single day, and then they're like, maybe you have like a month or something, you fall off a little bit, but you don't really realize, like, you can get away with it for a couple weeks or so, and then it hits you like, bro, this has been really affecting things, you know, and it's because of idols, like, that take the place of God, and it's so easy to let it happen. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying, like, you know, make sure, man, make sure that you're um, being intentional and... Mm-hmm. paying attention to your own life because we c- we look at this passage and think oh they have this asher pole they must be stupid but really i guarantee it was pretty easy to fall fall for it and, and follow it in that time yeah and again, like many like things the, that we have when, when everybody around you is is worshiping that that asher pole and fill in the blank with whatever you want to call it now whether it's the i golden mean state it's, warriors. it's anything that we put what the golden state warriors <laughs> yeah, if you're a basketball fan, I, you know I could never do that because as a Cavs fan, I'll never, I'll never have any good feelings toward that team. But, but yeah, <laughs> and that's why I'm a Warriors fan for life. <laughs> just like, just like why, why we're Ohio State and Michigan fans. You gotta have that. You gotta have that rivalry. <laughs> exactly, because Michigan can never beat Ohio State. So the Warriors had to do do it for me in another sport. Yeah. So to this day, but hey, man. Side side note, but what about Jordan Poole? Come on, yeah, he's been going off off for them, and it look. I mean, it looks like they they're back on the way toward potentially a title, especially with with uh, Devin Booker potentially out for a couple of games at least. Uh, that, that's a side note. Maybe we could table that for later. But but yeah, yeah, the Warriors are looking like the the team that that dominated the NBA for like what five years. Yeah, at least. Yeah, but going back here, where we leave off, or was it thirty? Uh, well, we talked about thirty, and then I guess I guess we can we can I'll, I'll, I can read this too. But Josh Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, "Are you going to plead Baal's case? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal is really a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar." And then it just talks about why Gideon was named Jerub Jerubel, I think. Which is which means let, let, 
Jeru Ball, something like that, yeah. Let let Ball contend with him. Um, and so then after that, it just talks about the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern people joining forces together and threatening threatening Israel. And then that's where it picks up in verse 36. Mm-hmm. Should I take up 36 to 40? or I, I can take that unless you want to. I'll take it. We can just... Okay. I think that kind of wraps up. Well, no, we still have seven to talk about. Okay. Yeah. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the on all the ground there was dew. Any so, thoughts on that? Yeah, this is and this is where the topic of trust, I think, really comes in. And actually, we'll, I mean, we'll see it even more again. I mean, that's why I chose this because. Trusting God is something that at times is difficult for all Christians. I know it's been difficult for me at times. Um, and this this passage, you do have to be a little bit careful. The one thing I'll say is you do have to be careful about asking God for signs because then it's like how much faith do you really have if you're just asking for you to show you things, asking for God to show you things, how much faith do you have? Um, right. But at the same time, he is still, he, he's presenting these requests to God, trusting that, that God will do what what he asks so in in one respect again you have to be careful about asking for signs but um in this case he's he's trusting in god to to deliver on those on those you know requests that he's presenting in this case i when like when i see god you know doing it again like that second time for him it just Mm -hmm. you know shows me god's love toward him because god doesn't have to do that like (laughs) he has no (laughs) obligation to give him a second sign after showing him the first time but um it just, again, it shows God's mercy and love towards Gideon, and it's and, and patience too, <laughs> right? Yeah, because like I said, he didn't have to do it a second time, no. but it's pretty awesome reading that. Yeah. So, and do you want to start seven? Yeah, yeah. Go go into seven. Early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the three hundred who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. What do you think about that 300? It's pretty it, it uh invokes the the movie 300 certainly. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. my first thought. Um 
But again, it also shows the incredible trust that Gideon had to have in God. You know, I, I, I can only assume, obviously, this was God's plan and it would never divulge from this, but I can only assume if Gideon was like, nah, God, there's, there's no way that we can only do it 300. I assume they probably would have failed even though they had a, a bigger number, of a, a larger army. Um, and we'll get into how they succeeded later, but, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's another example of God, you know, being like, you know, I know what I'm doing, even if it doesn't look like I'm presenting the, the right opportunity for you, it's, you know, I'll, I'll be there to make sure that you get through the situation. So I think that's, that's, again, it goes back to trusting in God, um, that even when it looks like he's not going to get us through a situation, he, he always does. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's what I was going to say personally so I'm glad you said it for me um I don't really do, is there any significance because I see here it said um everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps you shall set by himself likewise everyone who kneels down to drink so and then it says the number of those who lapped putting their hands in their mouths was 300 men but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water so what is the, like, in your opinion, why is there a distinction there? I feel like I've heard the answer before. You know, obviously having having a dad who's a pastor, I have a lot of experience in the church, but I can't place place my finger on what the reasoning is. I feel like I've heard that there is a reason for why that differ, differentiation is made, but I can't remember that at the moment if I'm being honest. So I don't, I don't know. I was kind of asking. I was kind of hoping you had an answer because that's interesting to me. Why is there a distinction? Because it doesn't really say. It says okay, there's 300 that lapped, but what about all the other men? And why were they? Why didn't they? And what's the point of the of the distinction? Maybe I'm missing a point right in front of my face, but um, that's something that I was thinking about. It might be. It might be what I'm thinking is like they had humility like they didn't care i think I, I think maybe the key key part of this is those three words lapping like dogs like they didn't care that they looked like dogs drinking water they just they 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 were humble i guess maybe maybe that's why and i if that if that's the wrong answer you know i'm i'm no expert on this so i apologize if that's not the right answer but that's what i think i've heard before and that's what i'm getting right now um is that that humility thing? Because again, earlier it says, you know, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has has, has saved me. So I think that might be why. Well, I'm wondering: is it 300 men that ended up fighting, um, and only 300 men? Because it said the, there's yeah. 300 that lapped like dogs, and all the rest knelt down. So were yeah. all the rest not true followers, or something like that? It's. I don't think it's so much like true followers i think it's just i don't think this is like a salvation choosing in this case i think it's just who the right people were to be in that army and who would who would trust who would trust god through gideon to lead lead their army and and we'll get in at the end of this at the end of this chapter how how that unfolded hmm okay well, why don't we read, uh, we, are we going to just keep going or do you want to do 17 to 22? Um, I'm skimming the past, the part of it in between. 
Um, it's just kind of talking about how that the Midianite army was thick as locusts. Their camels could could no more be counted than sand on the sea- seashore. And then Gideon talks about having a vision where a round loaf of barley bread struck the tent of the Mid- in the Midianite camp and overturned and collapsed it. So I think that's kind of a vision similar to, you know, visions that we see in other parts of the Bible. Even even like the story of Joseph, I think there was there was bread in those visions. So you know, bread seems to be a a common theme in 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 dreams or visions. But um, so yeah, again, it's it's kind of showing this this dream and the interpretation that th- this is verse fourteen. This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Hmm. And then 15 and 16, just kind of, it says how Gideon worshipped and divided the 300 men in a company into companies, giving them trumpets and empty jars. Okay, so I'll, I'll pick up at 17. And he said to them, look at me and, and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man who stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as... <laughs> you want to pronounce that one, Peter? <laughs> Beth, Beth Shitta. <laughs> Beth Shitta towards Zerarah as far as the border of Abel Meloha by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Well, besides um, Beth Shittah, <laughs> what was your favorite part of that passage? I know mine. Um, I think it's just they, that, I, I don't know if a specific part of it stands out. I think it's just kind of, again, it's another example of, of trusting God that they're they're going into this with with trumpets and empty jars that have torches. How is that how is that gonna gonna beat an army? An army that I can know, I can I only think, imagine the numbered time, in the thousands. The next time you go to like a I don't know, a basketball game or something to cover, that's what you should bring. Trumpets, yeah. empty <laughs> jars and torches. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> next time next time I'm a fan. <laughs> no, I mean I would say uh verse twenty is my favorite. Like I'm just picturing them crying out, "A sorrow for the Lord and for Gideon." Like, yeah, picturing that—that's pretty awesome. Definitely. Um, get it. I think 17 maybe stands out to me because, yeah, it's Gideon talking, but what really—I mean, when he says, "Watch me and follow my lead," he's working under the inspiration of—I mean, there, the Holy Spirit wasn't available at this time. Uh, the Holy Spirit wasn't released yet. <laughs> you know, it was—it mm-hmm. was God, God's Spirit. Um, but, but it was, yeah, in, when he it, said, it was in pre-alpha. Me. It wasn't released. I mean, exactly. It might have been beta. May, maybe beta, but n- no more than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when he says, follow me, watch my lead, he's he's speaking for God there. So I think that's kind of kind of powerful and pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I would I would agree with that. So 
kind of wrapping up this whole story, what is your what's your main takeaway? Um, because there's to, a, to there's kind of a few myself. points in here we could probably go into, but right. Um, you know, to avoid repeating myself and talking about how it's about trust, I think it also shows that you know at the beginning it talks about how the the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and then, you know, they were oppressed by, by the Midianites. And then God sends them this this random guy, Gideon, um, that they that they follow. And even with these weird requirements and these things that you would never expect to get them to where they get to at the end of this passage, God delivered them. So I think it's it's a story of forgiveness too, because you know, it says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um and it's also, I mean, there's a lot of things. It's it's forgiveness. It's about God's patience in in dealing with us when we sin and when we doubt Him. And then it also talks. Of, it also focuses on trust. Um, so yeah, that's 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 what I take away from this. But anything you want. And then you add? had the you know idolatry example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the braveness of of Gideon to do what he did. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good takeaways in this in this story. I'm not sure if there's one that sticks out to me, but I think everything we talked about, I I think is applicable to our lives today. And 100%. just being able to trust God, and we've talked. I feel like we've talked about it in, the, in a couple episodes, especially in times of change. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good passage to to read, and I would encourage everybody to go read this for yourself. There's a lot of there's a little. I said a lot in a little. There's some <laughs> details that we didn't touch touch on or go into just because right. we literally could not or we'd be here for two hours talking about it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I would encourage everybody to go read it. This is Judges 6 and 7. Um, and with that being kind of wrapped up, did you want to go into Samson still? Because I'm looking, we're already at 34 minutes. Um. I don't know. It's up to you. I know the the passages that we that I picked from Judges are shorter. Um, okay. So it, it's up to you how much you want to dive into this story too, because we we yeah, could dive was, into honestly, it more. But I would say that I mean I think Samson could have at least thirty minutes to himself. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to press too hard. So I'm cool with just doing Gideon, and we could do Samson next episode or something. Okay. If that's cool with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, did you want to talk just really quick? I mentioned the Warriors. Any thoughts on the NBA playoffs right now? Are you pulling for anybody? I saw the Cavs kind of went out. <laughs> yeah, if I'm being honest, I've I've kind of been a little bit of a bitter Cleveland fan. I haven't really been too I, – I definitely haven't been excited about these playoffs now, and I haven't been watching them too closely. I'm, I normally just have them, have them on in the background right now, actually. I have Nuggets and Warriors on right now. Um, it's game three of the of that series. Uh, Warriors are up two zero. It's it's in the, only in the first quarter, but they're up nineteen to sixteen. Okay. So, so I've been I've been kind of watching that, but yeah, like like I said, honestly, for some reason that Cavs loss like really stung, like more than a loss has for me in a long time. Like Maybe I it's because it's been a while since they've been good. And they were finally good, and then they lost. Yeah, that's probably a big part of it. Yeah. Haven't seen I mean, him it in the playoffs been, too hasn't much been recently. That long though, it's only been like three three years. They made the playoffs in three or four years. So, well, it's the first time since COVID, right? Yeah, well, then a couple years before COVID too. 
because LeBron's yeah, last year was I forget if it was seventeen eighteen or eighteen nineteen. I think it was I think eighteen nineteen was LeBron's last season. Um in, in Cleveland. Yeah, the COVID, it might have been seventeen eighteen. The COVID uh, year and a half or whatever seemed like, you know, five years. So it's probably hmm. a little bit of an effect there too, adding to it. True. But, True. Yeah, it's a funny story. I bought this uh Jordan Poole jersey back in like twenty twenty <clears throat> after he got drafted by him. And the nice. jersey was like it was one of those I don't know what they uh, Nike has like different trim levels of jerseys, but it was like the highest one. It was like three, four hundred buck version of their NBA jerseys. And like I the, got it for like that's almost like that's almost like the game worn one when you're buying those. <laughs> right. But I bought it on clearance for like sixty bucks because like I don't know, nobody was buying them. <laughs> I don't think turn people, that for profit thought, now. <laughs> well, I don't think many people thought Pool was going to be good, so or at least what he is. So uh, yeah. now it's funny because the dude's going off like, "Yeah, I had his jersey. I did not just buy it; I've been sitting on it." Yeah. So, but I, I, it's been fun seeing him doing what he's doing, especially being on the Warriors. And he's from Michigan. Come on now, they really can't get much better, <laughs> or worse for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're not as big of a hater for Michigan basketball, though. Nah, nah. The uh, did we did we split this? Yeah, we split this year, didn't we? I think so. Yeah. Split or did, did we end up facing in the Big Ten tournament? I'm trying mm, to remember. I don't think so. No. Okay. Yeah. Then I think it was a split. But we did when it mattered. We did better. So that's all that matters. Like in March, like we always yeah. do. Carried the Big well, Ten. Ohio, Ohio State in March. Ever since like making that championship game against Florida in '07, I think they've just been. It's been kind of a nightmare in in March for Ohio State. Hey, Michigan is just superior in every way this year: football, basketball, everything, baseball, hockey. Uh, I, go, I could go down the list. <laughs> the maize, the maize and blue are dunking on the scarlet and gray. Let's be real. For now, I think that's going <laughs> to change this year, at least in football. Hey, we'll see. Are we going to go to that game? That's the question. I think we might have to. And then I'm going to go into the horseshoe and get and get crap and that for would be, three and a half hours. And that would be your is that would that be your first Ohio State Michigan game in the shoe? That's my first ever game at the shoe. It would be. I've never been to the okay. shoe. So so, all my my first time going to Michigan Stadium for Ohio State Michigan ended up being a loss for my Buckeyes. So here's hoping for a little bit of a little bit of a repeat that we that we do end up going and the same thing happens to you. <laughs> Here let's honestly let's hope that Peter makes the trip all the way out from Nebraska, goes in his hometown stadium, sees his Ohio State Buckeyes lose to the Michigan Wolverines and has to go all the way back to Nebraska. <laughs> oh, after another loss. At least what? I'd be going back with a full full stomach though from Thanksgiving food. <laughs> oh no, you might lose your appetite after that one. True, true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, tell me what you know about uh about Elon buying Twitter, Peter. There's some things going um, on. There's some moves being made. You're you're definitely going to know more than I do. Um and we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. I know that he has already bought a 9% share and he's working on buying all of Twitter and you know more about how exactly he's going about doing that but that's about the extent of of my knowledge it seems like he has really good intentions with the app and everything um it doesn't seem like just a 
regular rich person trying to buy something just so they can make profit off of it and then ruining it um like a lot of like a lot of english english football um or soccer for the american audience um like a lot of those owners do with with those teams but um yeah i mean as far as what i know it seems like he has again good intentions and he cares about you know maintaining what people like about the app and fixing things that people don't so I just want to know intriguing. why is there so much opposition to him buying Twitter? Like, why does anybody even care? He said his his intention is to make the algorithm like that the algorithm that chooses what content to censor. He's going to make that algorithm open source so people can see how they're doing it instead of like this hidden process where it seems like consistently only one side of the conversation is getting censored. Um, you know, for example, I think there the, might be. Go the ahead. president gets banned permanently off Twitter, but we have uh, ISIS being permitted on Twitter. We have uh, terrorist organizations on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just curious about the opposition. Did you have something to say about that? I think uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. Well, um, I mean, I w- what I was going to say is Elon is uh, politically, he's not even, he would, I wouldn't even say he's conservative. He's kind of centrist. Yeah. Uh, he. I but mean, he's what I was gonna say he he is a little bit controversial to some people. I know and I know a lot of people like us don't really have a problem with him, but you know he does rub some people the wrong way, so that might be part of it. And then another thing when you, when you were talking about you know the way the algorithm algorithm runs and kind of exposing that, it's possible that the people who who run that algorithm or who use that algorithm on other social media platforms or just in, in businesses and stuff, maybe don't want those secrets to be revealed. I think that would potentially be a part of it. But again, I think it's that the, a lot of the 1% that runs, you know, things like Twitter now doesn't really like Elon very much, very much, very Musk. (laughs) (laughs) Very Musk. (laughs) It's funny you say that. There's a exactly. I saw this I saw this uh I think it was Jeremy Boring. He runs he owns the Daily Wire with like Ben Shapiro. Okay. He offered Elon to make like a cologne. It's called Elon's Musk. That <laughs> <laughs> was like that'd be perfect. Yeah, I but, might have to I don't have to buy a little bottle of that if that ever happened. <laughs> I wonder what Elon's Musk smells like. It's probably just the normal body odor, if I had to take a guess. I don't know. That's kind of a weird thing to think about, Joe. <laughs> hey you said you'd buy it so wouldn't you want to know what it smells like come on if it was a cologne but yeah yeah no no if it was just if it was his true musk if they took his scent (laughs) and replicated it (laughs) that would that would be interesting (laughs) peter smelling like elon's musk (laughs) (laughs) you're the one who brought it up in the first place hey you said you'd buy it (laughs) <laughs> I, say I'd buy I guess it. you didn't say that <laughs> I said would I'd buy it, it when you said it would be a cologne Okay Let's, let me ask you this though okay. Would you pay? F- would you buy it And pay for it in Dogecoin Right now yeah Because <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't cost too much <laughs> At this moment <laughs> But Well it, you know it cost you 20 US dollars Either way let's say that But okay. <clears throat> it'd be more Dogecoin in the meantime Yeah Yeah the conversion rate. You could sell it, sell it for more later, though. Yes, the aged musk would smell very nice. <laughs> well, I, I was referring to the upper trajectory of Doge, but yeah, I guess that's a good point too. It probably wouldn't smell very good by that point. The ten-year-aged Elon's Musk scent. 
Unless it ages <laughs> like wine. <laughs> Bro, I don't want to think about that, honestly. <laughs> okay, anyway, what I was going to say is that Twitter's board, the board of directors, they own like no none of Twitter. Like they, they have this board that makes decisions for the company. They're a bunch of uh, professors and MBA grads and all that. They don't even own M- the company. MBA and they're grads? making decisions. They graduated from the National Basketball Association. Yes, MBA grads. You get some MLB <laughs> grads too. <laughs> Maybe some NFL, a couple NHL. Throw in one no. or two MLS. Masters of Business Administration graduates. That's I know, what I, I know. To say. I, I realize. No, I th- you did say a- MBA. I just that's what every time I hear. Even if it's somebody says MBA, they say it right. I can't help but think of MBA. So sorry mm. about that. <laughs> yeah, but. I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a good if he if he acquires it. I think it's going to be outstanding for uh, for free speech, for, I mean even just improving the platform. There's so much to improve on, and I think, bro, th- there is definitely a heavy heavy leaning uh, bias going on with Twitter toward a certain direction with every almost every decision. It seems like, and it would just be so great to see not even like a i wouldn't even want like a conservative leaning anything i just want a an uh even playing field you know open for free speech that's what i'd love to see because the best in that case the best ideas would win right you debate and that's That's the point of free speech but yeah often doesn't that's the thing that sucks the question is do you believe in hate speech the way that's phrased is kind of tough to answer. Do I believe, you know, do I believe it exists? Do I believe that it's okay to okay, exist? Okay, let, let me let me ask you this: Do you think, do you think, if hate speech exists, do you think it should be protected under free speech? <sighs> that's a tough question. The thing that makes it tough is who or what. Determines who determines what it means yeah what what hate speech is what's hate what's what's hate versus just you know i'm a, a, a mean well comment, i have i have a know, really good answer for you on that one yeah i have a really uh obviously the people who decide what hate speech is are the rich people that own these social media platforms that's the clear answer they know everything so they decide right. <laughs> that's how it works right now at least yeah that's the problem but no, I would agree with you. Who's who defines it? Because if you know, for example, if a conservative person defines it, which I don't think most conservatives would even believe in the idea of hate speech, honestly, but if they were, they would define it as probably the left-leaning people and vice versa. So, um, I don't know. I think I personally think even hate speech, even though it's not great, it should be allowed under free speech because hopefully, what would happen in those situations is people would be chastised for exhibiting hate speech by people that have there is a limit to that though i mean i would agree with if somebody says i'm gonna kill you even though oftentimes that's not said seriously like it's actually gonna happen but still that's like when i think uh, of hate speech that's probably the ultimate level that i think of or you you should die you should kill yourself that sort of thing i mean i think even that should be allowed under free speech but i would agree with the the legal limits I don't we think, have right okay, now. I don't think that sort of thing... This might be where we differ a little bit. I don't think that should be allowed to be... Like... Like, there should be better control, especially on, like, direct messaging. 
Like that should never be something that somebody else has to open from somebody else. Like if it's if it's on the feed, that's you know that's a place where people are allowed to speak their mind. But something like that, and that that'd be pretty pr- relatively easy, I imagine. I would think, I would hope to filter out. But again, that might be what where we differ a little bit is like individual messages between two parties where one says something horrible like that. I'm not even necessarily talking about texting though. I'm talking about speech. Like if I go in public and say something, I believe I should be able to say anything I want to say as long as I'm not threatening somebody else without getting punished for it. And the the legal limits well, see, we have there, right now. There you make a you make a qualification though, as long as. So Right. Well, I mean, but that's the, you know, we have That is the limit on 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 hate speech. We have limitations right now with free speech like in our constitution. Like you can't yell fire in a crowded theater for a reason. Mhm. You know, but that's the like you can't. Some people say hate speech is saying, "Oh, you, like you're fat." Like that's hate speech. And yeah. That's that should be banned. That's that's what I'm talking about. Like that's. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's a thing called freedom of speech for a reason. Even though that's stupid, even though the, some, the person saying it's probably a scumbag, they still have the right to say it. Yeah. But. So you disagree with that? Where would you draw the line personally? I, well, I didn't realize if we were what, that we were talking about hate speech in public versus on like a social media platform. Because I think on a social media platform, there's easier and more, um, I guess, humane or more more ways that still retain your rights to limit that sort of thing. But yeah, in terms of like just being out in public, it's becomes pretty dictatorship like if there's too much of limits on what you're allowed and not allowed to say so would you say like an example i'm thinking of is the whole like um on twitter i remember around the election there was like the hunter biden laptop story and they removed it from the platform they said it was you know misinformation hate speech whatever toward hunter biden um potentially could have swung hundreds of thousands if not millions of votes it was removed from the platform and then i think about a month or two ago the new york times came out and said it was it was confirmed to be true the story was true and that you know that again that falls back to twitter for banning it i mean do you think that uh, something like that should happen like that's that's my argument for why we should have free speech because clearly the people in power in that decision were making a decision based on their political leanings and not any sort of like objective um, rules or anything like that. I don't think it should be banned. I think, you know, and I think that's something that's, I don't think that really had anything to do with hate speech. Um, well, you could say it's hate speech like toward Hunter Biden should, if it's not true. Yeah, I, I would just say in th- for that sort of thing or for hate speech, there should be some sort of filter where it's like, you know, like it's blurred out or something like that, and there's like a, a warning, like this is what this says. Are you sure you want to view this? That sort of thing. You know, that's how I think it should be. So it's not filtered, it's not banned. It's simply, you know, for people who don't want to see that, they don't have to, and for people that are okay with seeing that, they're okay with seeing that, and they make that choice. I think that's honestly that's probably the easiest way to go, and I don't care how strict or lenient those those like 
disclaimer warnings are. I don't care if it flags like almost everything. Well, okay, I do care about that, but you you get, I think you might get what I'm saying is that like if you do that, then people can see like if it's a disputed thing like like the Hunter Biden laptop thing was until that sort of thing is proven true or false. Um, you know, there should be something like, you know, this is a disputed topic. You know, are you sure that you want to see this? Or if it's something like hate speech, it's like this, this tweet, this, this post, wherever you're, you, you know, whatever social media platform you're using has, you know, you know, some sort of, whatever sort of hate it is, you know, and it gives a, a warning and like, uh, are you sure you want to view this? That's how well, I, I think mean, it should be. I would, I would mostly agree with that. Uh, I think the problem was like the example I gave on the Hunter Biden thing. It, it was, it wasn't like that they did put a disclaimer like, oh, this, this is, uh, this topic is debated. It's not necessarily proven yet, which, I mean, you can argue whether or not there was hard proof or not. I would tend to say there was back then even, but they didn't say that. They said, oh, no, this is mis- misinformation. This has been disproven. You know, we're taking a stance on this, and they banned it. Like, that's ridiculous. That's not a disclaimer. And I've seen that so many times. It's not even just a Hunter Biden thing. Like, why is it that every article that questions one political leaning is, is labeled as misinformation? It's not even like oh, this might not be true. It's like, no, this has been this has been proven to be misinformation. Like, who is deciding this? Like, that's the problem I have. If it's clearly misinformation, if it's, like, been disproven, okay. But it, it, there's a reason that it's strange to me that almost every misinformation label I see is going on one direction. And that's why people like Elon Musk and all the, you know, millions of people are, kind of upset about it but i wouldn't disagree with a disclaimer um that, that probably could be a good idea but again you have to be careful about is it being evenly applied because there's just as many articles believe it or not on the left side of the aisle and the right side of the aisle that probably could be labeled as questionable so i mean this that's probably one one case where the more strict it is the better because then it you know filters most things from from both sides and it doesn't it doesn't discriminate for whether it's, you know, liberal or conservative leaning. It's simply for anything that's disputed, whether it's disputed by conservatives or by liberals um, or by people in the middle. It, you know, if it's if it's in any way not solid, concrete proof, there should be a disclaimer. That's how I think it should work. Um, and yeah, that might mean a, lo- a lot of things have a disclaimer. It might mean most of what you see in your feed is, you know, blurred blurred words or pictures. But yeah, I mean, if that's if that's what keeps things from being banned that shouldn't be banned, I think that might be the way to go. I again, I wouldn't totally disagree with that. I think people could take that too far, though, and I think we would we should err on the side of more free speech than not and not banning everybody who we disagree with. And again, you look at people that the the censorship and the bans that have been happening, I mean, it's undeniable that 90 probably 95 plus percent of the bans are are conservative people, Christian people. It's it's just how it is and it needs to be evenly applied. So I think uh Twitter is just uh, Elon called it the de facto public square of of our time, and 
because of that being the the reality of the platform, you know, it does need to have freedom of speech protected. I think that's why you see a man like him putting so much effort into ensuring that because he truly cares about you know, the future of our democracy. And we're really moving pretty quickly toward like a neo, I don't want to say Marxist, but socialist slash communist style of of censorship and banning people. So... I think it's a good thing. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, not only technological improvements if Elon gets a hold of Twitter, but I think, hint, hint, we're going to see some Doge integration, which is very good for the Doge investors. Mm-hmm. Again, I keep trying to tell you all. I hope, I hope you guys are taking my advice, but again, it's not financial advice. I know that doesn't make sense what I just said, but <laughs> it's not financial advice. But uh, I would strongly encourage those of you listening to look into Dogecoin. I I feel like Peter, I feel like in I don't know, like twenty twenty five, twenty twenty six, I'm gonna come back and take these clips from this podcast and like put them up somewhere. Cause I'm putting out yeah. these I'm putting out these warnings, bro. And I just know. But anyways, I would encourage y'all to the to one look question into that I have about that is are there more people now that are uh endorsing Dogecoin than there was for Bitcoin? Because I almost feel like when there's more people that are saying, oh, this is going to blow up, it almost oh, no, there's no way. makes me hesitate a little bit more. You think there's no, less Doge? that talks about Bitcoin? You said what? Do you think there's less people that advocate for it or, or more than, than Bitcoin? Oh, less than Bitcoin for sure. Bitcoin is by far the the main no i mean like when before game. before bitcoin blew up and i know we weren't really like on social media cuz that because that was like late 2000s but um i i would say like even like 2017 bitcoin um there's more people talking about dogecoin now than there were about bitcoin in like 2018 2017 so that that yeah. kind of says something well, and see, right that's there. that's what makes me a little bit hesitant and you know i have a little bit invested in dogecoin but it's like the more that people are like, oh yeah, this is gonna explode. Like, like Bitcoin really flew under the radar for for a long time. And I mean, you know about how all like, you know, the more that people buy up of of Dogecoin, the less it's gonna be worth. But yeah, I, I mean, I I agree with you. I think it does have a very bright future. Um, but it does make me kind of just think for a second, like, with all these people that are crying its praises is it going to be as good as they say uh well there's not a lot of people that are crying that doge is going to go like i'm saying like what my prediction is not a common one uh because i've i've seen a lot of evidence it's just evidence it's just stuff i've seen and i'm gonna i'm gonna briefly lay out you know some reasons i'm gonna make a prediction here um elon musk is gonna he just revealed in tesla's earnings call yesterday for their stock they're working on a robo taxi, which is a completely fully autonomous vehicle that's going to replace uh, Uber and Lyft and these services. Tesla is going to have a monopoly on the automated taxi industry in about two or three years. And they're going to transact all those transactions in Dogecoin, which will automatically put the coin up to five bucks at least, if not ten dollars. That's a trillion dollar industry right there. He's also putting Starlink satellites up in space, which nobody knows about this, but they're uh, slowly being converted into Dogecoin nodes. You can go on the Dogecoin Foundation's website right now, and that's going to enable offline <clears throat> transactions for Doge. So basically, the internet can go out, everything can go out, we can still transact Doge, which completely takes the power away from any government 
to regulate any currency. Like we could literally get nuked and still transact Dogecoin. Hmm. Um, third thing is Tesla, their supercharging network they're buying. Uh, right now you pay in USD, obviously, but they're still building it out. And when that thing gets fully built and we have the robo taxis, everything set up with that, um, I, I fully expect that those transactions will be in Dogecoin too. So the entire Tesla ecosystem will be eventually um, transacting mainly mainly in Dogecoin because of its low transaction fees and an instantaneous nature. Um, and that the coin being used that much and being mainstream integrated uh, will will cause its price to be in the likes of at least ten dollars, if not like fifteen twenty bucks. I'd say the next five safe bet ten years for like twenty bucks, but like five years, I'd say five ten dollar Dogecoin is very very likely. Now all that's just my opinion. Uh, but it's it is stuff that I've seen. I know he's working on it, and uh, not many people know that at all. But those are the hard reasons I see for Doge, and that's not even that's just bro, that's just Elon. Like that's not even counting Mark Cuban behind it, all these other companies that might adopt it, McDonald's, everything. So keep your eye on it. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that, and. You know a lot more of it than I can, so I don't really have much to add. I have a little bit in it right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I'm keeping an eye on, too. Probably not quite as closely as you are, but it's something I know I don't want to miss out on. So, Yes, yeah, sir, and it's, it's uh, you know, still early. It's still early to buy Doge. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's like, the, I think it's the number 10 crypto right now on the market cap. Um and it's Which, what, it won't third. It's like, I think it's a little bit down today, but it's like somewhere between thirteen and fourteen cents. So, for a yeah. dollar, you can buy what eight, eight Dogecoin, eight and a half. Just about, yeah, something like or that. Maybe, maybe my math might be off a little bit. I think it's like seven like and a half. Seven, seven and a half, yeah. Yeah. So. And, and I mean, it was up this. If you if you can't put put ten bucks towards something like that, then you probably shouldn't be. That's that's my. Financial advice, not financial advice, is, you know, don't spend what you can't afford to lose. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you you put down 10 bucks, and if your prediction is right, that can be worth quite a bit more. Yep, and like I said, like, yeah, that's a good point. You know, don't invest more than you're willing to lose. You can afford to lose, obviously. That's that's number one rule. Um, but keep your eye on it. That's all I'm going to say. That little mm-hmm. plan I just laid out, I guarantee you in five years, some something of that will come true. And I bet we're going to be seeing a pretty pricey Dogecoin. And I pray to God that I have not sold my Doge when that comes around. I don't think I will. I don't plan on it. But <laughs> you never know. Financial times, you never know what can happen. Yeah. So, righty. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap this episode up. We're over an hour. So, yep. Um, covered a lot of topics. But, you know, we want to thank you guys for listening in. We're continue to try to film this this podcast it seems like it's becoming more challenging as time goes on <laughs> as our lives get more complicated um but something that um we want to keep bringing you guys hopefully uplift you in christ and encourage you and encourage you guys to read your bibles um and we truly appreciate everybody listening and we ask that you humbly ask that you drop a like or rate the podcast on how you're listening either apple or spotify make sure you drop a follow and with that being said this is episode 15 in the books Signing out. Peace. Peace.